0: Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I am Matthew Thompson, a member of UE Local 1186. Thank you to all of our listeners. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WART possible.
1: Hi, I'm Sandy Park, a retiree from both ASME and American Federation of Teachers. Today we hear from this year's Labor Fest attendees, catch up on the potential UAW strike, learn about organizing at a local gaming company, and share some important announcements and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio.
2: He's out to cheat us. Money speaks for money. The
0: devil Starbucks workers held an impromptu walkout Thursday morning at the State Street location to protest insufficient staffing and poor working conditions. Despite growing frustrations stemming from too few employees and a broken ice machine, the walkout was not planned in advance. Starbucks shift supervisor and union organizer Matthew Cartwright said, We were expecting to go do and do our shifts, Cartwright said. We were not expecting to have to walk out today. This comes after the branch successfully voted to unionize June 1, 2023, Cartwright said. Since unionizing, the branch has come under the leadership of multiple new managers and a new district manager who brought the news that the school year staffing goals would decrease from 50 baristas to 25 to 30, Cartwright said. Cartwright added that state street workers are still working toward securing a union contract with Starbucks. Thanks to Badger-Herald and other sources for this story.
1: Newly unionized workers at Fitchburg's tabletop gaming distributor Noble Night Games have reached a milestone in the contract negotiation process. Labor Radio has the latest.
3: Noble Night Games United, an independent union affiliated with the Communication Workers of America, won recognition for their bargaining unit late last year. Now, the union is ready to take the next step in workplace democracy. As a tentative agreement has been reached between workers and the company. The union announced the agreement at the Labor Fest Solidarity Roll Call on Monday.
4: Hello, we represent Noble Knight Games United. We have got over 70 game store workers under our banner, and we are joining CWA Local 4652. Proud to announce that after six months, only 12 meetings, we have got our first tentative agreement. We have got a contract. Solidarity forever!
2: Fight and win!
3: After the public launch of the union campaign in late fall of 2022, the NLRB received a petition for an election from Noble Knight Games. Workers said that they were initially subjected to mandatory anti-union meetings, but were eventually voluntarily recognized by the company in December, after the union's supermajority support became clear. The union says that the bargaining unit, which is over 70 strong, is composed of a diverse cross-section of positions within the company, including warehouse, storefront, and customer service roles. In between bargaining sessions, the union has also been supportive of organizing efforts at other tabletop distributors across the country, as well as showing local solidarity. On social media, the union directed support to Syracuse New York game shop TCG Player, as well as sharing information in the spring on how to support Madison sourdough. The next step for the union will be a vote on whether or not to adopt the agreement or elect to continue negotiations, which should take place in the coming weeks. Audio from LaborFest, courtesy of Greg Jabowski. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup.
0: On Wednesday, Energize Monona teachers were able to reverse an administration decision. Greg Jabowski
5: reports. On Wednesday in Monona, speakers and visitors to a special meeting of the school board of the Monona Grove School District overflowed the meeting room, spilled into the hall, and filled seats in an overflow room where a TV monitor had been set up. The special meeting had been urged by the Monona school community and its teachers, represented by the Monona Grove Education Association, the MGEA, when they learned that the school's employee handbook had been amended without proper consultation with teachers. Wednesday special meeting ended on a rather extraordinary note.
6: All right, any further discussion? Thank you. All right, get yeah. back to vote again. Rochelle? Aye. Susan? Aye. Elizabeth? Aye.
1: Philip? Aye. Eric? Aye. Peter? Aye. Lorraine? Aye. Eyes have it. Motion is carried.
5: This unanimous vote rescinded a key part of a motion passed only weeks before by the same members of that school board. Language providing job security to post-probationary teachers that had been in the employee handbook since 2012 had been removed by district administrators and replaced and approved with no discussion at a regular August meeting of the board. Many board members, according to union officials who spoke to Labor Radio, had a limited understanding of what was at stake. This seemed to be confirmed at Wednesday's special meeting, when at least three board members members actually apologized for their August vote. Brian Frederick President of the MGEA, described the teachers' response when they learned of the earlier board vote unilaterally removing handbook provisions.
7: When union leadership heard about the handbook changes that had already been approved by the board that did not follow our traditional and required by handbook way of coming through our personnel committee, there was a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, but with the help of our WEAC representatives, we communicated to people, we got out our message, we knew that our message was right and the school board heard us. They called this special meeting tonight. All the members of the MGEA even those beyond our officers and our leadership team that stepped up and everyone did their role.
5: The notorious Act 10 went into effect just over a decade ago, banning collective bargaining by public sector workers, including teachers, except over small wage changes. Although unions were stripped of most effective powers, some governments and school districts indicated they wished to continue collaborative working relationships with its employees and their unions. A common legally allowed step was to draft an employee handbook with clearly written rights, duties, and Employee Protections. Monona seemed to be one of these districts. Mendy Doris, the UNISERV director for the Wisconsin Education Association Council, or WEAC, was surprised by what happened in Monona this summer.
1: The Monona Grove School District, really for decades, has worked hard to have a collaborative relationship between school board, administration, and teachers. In fact, this was one of the first districts to collaborate on a handbook in the aftermath of Act 10. So we were really shocked and disappointed 13 days ago to learn that job security protections for post-probationary teachers had been eliminated with no input from teachers. None.
5: According to Doris, administration changes came without warning. We met with the district, both board members
1: and administration, throughout the spring when we were bargaining over base wages and
5: collaborating over other handbook issue items. Not one word about this language was raised. Erin Bibb, a local attorney and a parent of two kids at the Monona Grove Schools, had heard about the action through a notice from the South Central Federation of Labor. Bibb was in the overflow crowd showing support for the teachers and had this to say after the meeting.
8: The main thing I'd say is I'm just so impressed by the organizing efforts that these teachers made to have such a great turnout and show the board why this, why the collaborative process matters.
5: Although the Section 19 language regarding job security was rescinded, the
7: MGEA's Frederick says more needs to be done. This is step one. This is a positive step. We thank the board for taking their vote and rescinding their vote from August 9th about the Section 19 language. Now the next step is the other language changes that you passed on August 9th that were not taken to Personnel Committee. They need to be rescinded also.
5: That was Monona Grove Education Association President Brian Frederick speaking Wednesday at a special meeting of the Monona Grove School Board where, in a clear victory for union organizing, employee handbook language, restricting teacher job security there was rescinded unanimously. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky.
6: brother 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 there's far too many of you die you know
1: Brian Barber, a steward at True Stage, which was co- formerly called CUNA, came to Labor Fest on Monday. He spoke to reporter Greg Jabosky about his position in the union the state, of, and the state of contract negotiations.
7: I'm a steward in the union at True Stage. I'm a member of the bargaining team. Have you been to Labor Fest before
5: and what do you think of today?
7: No, this is my first time actually and this has been great. We've, we've talked to a lot of people who are really supportive and also talked to people who having the same struggles we are so offering support to them Um, it's been great just to see the number of people who are you know here for a common cause it's been really positive
5: what's the latest on on bargaining has has there been any movement what um uh, what's the union seeing
7: well, the, the company still hasn't addressed our th- what three of our main priorities, which are around uh, wages, healthcare, and retirement. So we're we're trying to, to get movement from them. Um, we've made uh, multiple package proposals for them. They've rejected almost all of them and ha- haven't really offered anything constructive of their own to try to reach a deal.
5: What's your favorite food here
7: today at Labor Fest? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm vegetarian, so I really like the rice and beans. I'm pretty, I'm a Jane plane when it comes to, to food. So yeah, but I mean, it's been great. I mean, there's tons of, tons of great food out here, and you know the, you know just the spirit of, um, you know camaraderie and just the positive energy out here has been really great.
5: Is there anything you want to add?
7: Just that, you know, this has been a really transformative experience for us. You know, a lot, a lot of times people talk about labor disputes as being, you know, exhausting and, uh, and you know, just a struggle. But for us, you know, it's it has been a struggle at times. But for, for a lot of us, it's been a really positive change. You know, we've seen people go from being really, you know, apathetic or indifferent to, you know, really uh, actively interested or, or involved in, in what we're doing. And uh, we've seen just a lot of people end up in leadership positions and hoping to make this movement possible. So for us, there's something really uh, great to watch the transformation in people during something like this. So despite the company's efforts to demoralize us, you know, it's really had the opposite effect. And that's been one of the most um, inspiring things to watch. Thank you so much.
1: That was reporter Greg Jabosky speaking to Brian Barber of OPEIU at LaborFest 2023. This is Carol Weidel.
0: Labor Radio reporter Greg Jabowski spoke to a Madison Sourdough worker and union member at Laborfest about the status of negotiations for a first contract.
4: I'm Spencer Schlenker. I work at Madison Sourdough, and they recently unionized with the UFCW Local 1473. you been to Laborfest before, what, what do you think of it? I haven't. No, this is my
5: first time, and I tell you what, it is awesome. At Madison Sourdough, any updates on your struggle with management there?
4: Yeah, we are still bargaining for our first contract. And management has made it really difficult because they're drawing out this process as much as they can. We don't meet very often, and when we do, it's not for as long as we want. And they've made it clear that they're going to be trying to let turnover do its thing and kill the union drive before we even get our first contract. Fortunately, a lot of the new hires have been pro-union, but we don't know how long that can continue. We need our contracts. What timetables are they doing? How many times are you able to bargain? Initially, we were bargaining only once every two weeks and only for two hours a day. Nothing was happening and we made it clear that this was unacceptable. We've recently gotten it up to six hours, so now we have six hour days. Once every two weeks... And they've canceled on one of our bargaining sessions without giving us a new date. So there's going to be a month between sessions that we're in right now. We're not able to do this because we need our contract. Management knows that, and that's why they're holding out on us. What are your key demands? A big one is workplace safety. We want to make sure that we're not just leaving it up to management to take care of us. We want to actually have a voice in the process behind that and in setting the workplace standards. And we want things that will retain people because experienced bakers are hard to come by and they're even harder to train. So when we have all this turnover, it makes the bread worse, makes the quality worse, it makes the quantity worse. It's best for business and for the union for us to keep workers there and keep them happy and feel like they can grow at Madison Sourdough you want to add
5: for our listeners, what they can do.
4: Yeah, you can find us on social media. We are Madison Sourdough United Workers. or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we have set up a mutual aid fund that we can use to help each other through hard times. And it can double as a strike fund should we need to go that route and get a credible strike threat so that we can actually get management to the table.
9: That was Spencer Schlaker speaking to Labor Radio reporter Greg Jabosky. This is Janine Ramsey, who edited this segment.
6: laugh and picket sides don't punish me Sister.
10: with brutalities talk to me Sister. so you can see's oh,
1: if it was Labor Day in Madison it must be labor fest Greg jabasky reports from this year's event <laughs>
5: Last Monday was Labor Day, and as for decades in Madison, with the exception of a couple years during the recent pandemic, it was time for Labor Fest. On a hot but breezy day, folks packed the Labor Temple grounds for food, music, talk, celebration of the labor movement, and not a little bit of organizing. Labor Radio talked to a lot of people there, and let's get the first question out of the way. So what's your favorite food here?
1: I did not get a chance to eat any food, but I saw that they had corn on the
5: cob, so that that would be pretty good. So, what's your favorite food? I have
0: uh, the Browers, are great. What's
5: your favorite food here? I'd have to say bras. What's your favorite food at the, at the event today? <laughs> I think the hot dogs and the corn. <laughs> David Newby, former president of the Wisconsin AFL CIO, has been to many labor fests and described what it's about.
8: Well, you know, Labor Fest is really a happy time for folks to see each other. Maybe they haven't seen some people for some time. And, you know, the number of kids, the diversity of the crowd, it really is a wonderful community celebration. And we haven't lost that labor centric approach to Labor Day. It's not just the last holiday of the summer. And particularly with the organizing that's going on in the area.
5: Anne McNeary, a member of CWA and AFSCME and the AFL-CIO Community Services Liaison was at what she called her 45th or so labor fest. Every year, Labor Fest takes donations for local cause. McNeary was manning a donation table and explained this year's theme.
9: For the Community Services Committee, we uh, annually do a donation drive, and for the past several years, we have collected for the Transition Education Program, which is part of the Madison Metropolitan School District, and MTI members are very, very much involved in that program.
5: McNary explained that listeners can still donate to the Transition Education Program, or tap online at the Madison Schools Foundation. As has been the tradition, the Solidarity Roll Call ended with a crowd singing along with f retiree Ruth Brill with the U.S. labor anthem Solidarity Forever. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski.
0: United faculty and academic staff has big plans for the future, Frank Spack reports.
10: UFAS, or United Faculty and Academic Staff, Local 223, of the American Federation of Teachers is on the cusp of moving forward, according to President Chad Goldberg. However, UFAS and all UW campus unions face some huge challenges. Chad explains.
8: In, in August, uh, UW Oshkosh announced a plan for layoffs and furloughs, and then there were uh, follow-up announcements for uh, furloughs and layoffs at Platteville and Parkside. That, I would say, is one of many recent examples of how uh, our campuses have been hurt by political attacks on the UW system. And those those attacks are not new, but they are continuing. I'm not sure that everybody understands the manufactured nature of the budget crises that administrators at Oshkosh and elsewhere are are responding to, Um, we have billions of dollars uh, in surplus in the state. And at the same time, our university system uh, just received a cut in funding. And when that happens, uh, I would say, you know, that cut is advancing uh, the ideological agenda of the far right Republicans who control the state legislature. I would say that it's a political decision to, to destroy the public goods on which uh, working people in Wisconsin depend, including the public good of the university
10: system. His assessment was echoed by Diane Farsetta, a UFAS member interviewed by Greg Gabaski at Laborfest.
9: say the really important thing is to look at is how the state legislature has been defunding the university system which is obviously a, an issue for a lot of important things around the state, but we're seeing massive layoff at workers um, at different UW campuses. So not UW-Madison yet, but solidarity means that we don't wait for it to hit us directly before we stand up. So there is a lot of organizing going around about pushing back against these austerity measures and saying that they shouldn't fall wholly on the, on the backs of the workers, and especially, you know, the sort of, mid to lower tier workers because that's where it's falling so far.
10: Thanks a lot. UFAS has decided that the best defense is offense. They are vigorously organizing UW staff in support of paid family and medical leave. Chad Goldberg explains.
8: The big challenge that we're thinking about and that uh, we're focused on in this campaign, an ongoing campaign, uh, for paid family and medical leave benefits uh, here at the Madison campus. We pushed the Faculty Senate and the Academic Staff Assembly to pass a resolution urging implementation of paid family leave benefits for uh, all employees at UW-Madison. And uh, we also signed on to an open letter from campus labor unions that called on Chancellor Manukin to commit to providing 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave for faculty, graduate students, and university employees.
10: UFAST is committed to a united response by all UW campus locals to the manufactured budget crisis. To that end, UFAST is hosting a higher education summit on September 22nd to be held at the UW Memorial Union. Goldberg explains the purpose of the conference.
8: The uh, UW workers from across the state are going to come to Madison to take part in the summit, uh, are going to come together for a day-long uh, series of discussions and strategy sessions to organize for academic freedom, because that has been, of course, under threat by Republicans as well, but also uh, for a fully funded UW system. And this is a summit that we have uh, decided from, from the very beginning is going to be open to all UW workers. So
10: The summit will be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on September 22nd. Thanks to Chad Goldberg and Diane Farsetta for their thoughts. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio.
1: The NAACP held their Labor Action Week this past week to highlight the role of labor in the economic health of all people with a spotlight on people of color. An online panel discussion took place on Thursday, September 7th at 6 p.m. Central Time, titled The Economic and Policy Fight in Labor. The panel was moderated by Patrice Willoughby, NAACP Senior Vice President of Global Policy and Impact. The three panelists were Michelle Hurd, Actress and SAG-AFTRA National Board Vice President, Frederick Ingram, Public School Educator and Secretary-Treasurer of the AFT, and Candace Archer, Policy Director for the AFL-CIO.
9: The online panel discussion began with a brief outline of the priorities of the NAACP in their fight for access. These priorities include a living wage, benefits, job protections, and advancing policies that respect the rights of workers. One of the panelists and actress, Michelle Hurd, talked about the specific challenges that people in the SAG-AFTRA industry face.
6: SAG-AFTRA has 160,000 members, proud members. That consists of voiceover artists, singers, dancers, stunt artists, background artists, and principal artists. 98% of that 160,000 make basically less than $12 an hour. 87% of that 160,000 cannot qualify for our health insurance, which is 26,000 a year.
9: Panelist and public school educator, Frederick Ingram on what he wants.
2: As a black man, I want the same thing that every other man wants for their child, for my kid to be a little bit better than me. I want my kid to be able to pay their bills, get off my payroll. I want them to be able to get their own family. I want simple things in life, nothing more, nothing less. And I don't want that to take away from anybody else. We're not giving these kids, these young people, these working people a fair shot in life with public policies that continue to screw people over every single day. Panelist
9: and AFL-CIO policy director, Candace Archer. If you look at the economy, productivity has gone up across the board, like dramatically in every industry. And CEO pay has gone up across the board. It's the workers that are being left out. And that's why the labor movement is so important. Panel moderator, Patrice Willoughby. Really the issues are economic, but race is often used as a proxy to divert people's attention from the real issues at hand, which are power, concentration of wealth, and who really benefits from the benefits of their work and labor in society. Patricia Heard. The moral
6: compass of this world, of us, particularly our country, has always moved on the backs of people of color. When we get over that line, everybody benefits.
9: Here is Frederick Ingram in response to a question about the effectiveness of boycotts and strikes.
2: Boycotts and strikes are last line of defense. Nobody wants to get there. Nobody ever wants to get there. The Civil Rights Movement taught us that, right? The most famous boycott is Montgomery bus boycott. But that was an escalation of what had happened throughout a couple years of what was going on. Remember, those folks got water hosed and dogs. There was a lot that led to that. So I think anytime you talk... Boycotts and you talk strikes. You're, yeah. you're putting lives on the line, you're putting organizations on the line, you're putting money on the line. There's a financial impact, absolutely. You have to make sure that people understand what they're doing, have a ground floor, have a strategy to get there, have an exit strategy, and then know a deal when you see it. Those are some of the things that we talk about as leaders of unions all the time.
9: Everybody can be in the fight. You can walk the line with Michelle. You can go out when your teachers go on strike. You can walk the line with them. You can go support them. You can be part of this movement, even if you're not in a union, and be clear that this is what you want these corporations to do.
6: We need to be educated when we go to that ballot box. We need to understand who is fighting for the working class people and who is being paid to make this divide even bigger. So it's information, education, amplification, and then get people motivated, go, fight.
9: Those were NAACP panelists. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio.
0: With less than two weeks to go, the UAW and GM Ford and Stellantis are far apart.
10: On September 14th, the contracts between the UAW, Ford, General Motors and Stellantis expire. UAW President Sean Feng warned Wednesday that the union plans to go on strike against any Detroit automaker that hasn't reached a new agreement by the time contracts expire, 11.59 p.m. Thursday next week. UAW members have been clear as regards their needs. Their top contract demands are 1. Eliminate tiers. 2. Substantial wage increases. 3 restore the cost of living adjustments, four, reestablish a defined benefit pension for all workers, five, reestablishment of the retiree medical benefits, six, the right to strike over plant closures. The big three have closed 65 plants over the last 20 years. As the 10 hour a day has become standard, meaning 10 hours of work, six days a week, workers are hearkening back to the vision of an eight hour day, five days a week, focusing not only on the deleterious health effects of auto assembly and the destruction of family life, but also on the concept that a 40-hour-per-week job should pay enough to support a family. Many observers note that after decades of concessions, which failed to stem plant closures, corruption in the UAW, and the failure to organize any of the transplant factories, that this contract is a make-or-break battle for the union and its members. President Biden is also a major factor in the negotiations. He is putting approximately $9 billion into the automobile industry, some of which are supposed to go to plants that retool for electric vehicles. But there is no indication that the auto companies are prepared to offer the same wages and benefits in these plants as in the traditional automobile assembly plants. In addition, in spite of huge taxpayer-funded subsidies to battery production firms, there is no requirement by the Feds that these plants be union or even neutral in any organizing attempt. This is particularly upsetting to the UAW as many of the plants are joint ventures with the legacy automobile companies. As President Fain said, quote, the government should invest in U.S. manufacturing, but the money can't go to companies with no strings attached. There should be labor standards built in, as this is the future of the car industry at stake. While President Biden succeeded in imposing a settlement on rail workers, a politically demobilized group of unions, this may not be the case with the UAW. Biden must win the unionized working class in order to win the presidency. So whether it is public or not, the administration's thumb is on the scale. On Monday, at a Labor Day event in Philadelphia, President Joe Biden told reporters that he doesn't expect the UAW to strike any of the Detroit three automobile companies. Yesterday, UAW President Fain dismissed Biden's remarks, saying that the workers will make the decision about whether or not to strike. Locally, the union has made preventing the closure of the Belvedere, Illinois, assembly plant a centerpiece of its negotiations to stop plant closures. The UAW has scheduled a press conference to air just as our labor radio show begins. We will air any breaking news at the end of this broadcast. I am Frank Emspack for Madison Labor Radio.
1: Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Sandy Park. Thanks to editor Frank Emspack, assistant Robin G., reporters Greg Jaboski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Ham, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joe Ann Powers. Special thanks to Keith Stefan, our reader coordinator, web poster Anya Lee, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304
0: WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Matthew Thompson. We also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the professor, Bill Clark.